Well, hello and welcome to episode 159 of The Cool Room. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, David Griffiths. I will shortly be joined by my good friend, Mr Warren Wu, so that we can chat with Lost Watering Hole. And uh, if you've never heard of them before, don't worry, you're going to learn not only about their backstory, and it's a fascinating one, but also about some of the great beers that they're creating uh, out in Lancefield at the moment in country Victoria. Uh, a really interesting conversation about uh, how to design beers uh, that will appeal to different markets and um, what it's like to take the plunge and open up another brewery. So uh, we really encourage you to stick around for that. Normally we have a tasting pack accompanying each of our podcasts. We're already sold out of this one. Uh, all the more reason for you to jump on the road one day over summer head up to Lansfield and experience the brewery in person. Uh, we really encourage you to do that as well. Um, we've got more fun podcasts coming up online. If you're new to the podcast, make sure you join up to our Facebook and Instagram so that you can join us live on Thursday nights online. Uh, and we've also got some really fun live events coming up over the summer as well. You can find out about all of those sorts of things by jumping onto our Facebook uh, and if you can head over to our Shopify store, just search Cool Room Podcast Shopify. Uh, that way you can grab beers and support the podcast. All of these things cost money to do, uh, and it's really helpful if you can help out by making a little purchase from time to time. Uh, Okie dokie, let's not waste any more time getting on with our interview with Lost Watering Hole. But Warren, how have you been over the last couple of weeks? Have you had any couple of beer experiences you want to rate? Have you uh, been to Pinot Beer and Wine and had some... Like oh, yeah. I've tried. I stumbled in there and I, I I didn't have the heart to tell them at the time, but I stumbled in there into their co-conspirators tasting uh, and I was just going to walk past and pick up a couple of things, but, um, yeah, ended up hanging out with, uh, yeah, have, trying the co-conspirators range that they had there, which was really great. They spoke um, very highly of you and didn't mention the fact that you stumbled in. They said that well, it looked like it was entirely intentional. Ah, uh, no, yeah, I'm glad it looked intentional. Well, I've, I've, I'm quite a, I'm quite a, a seasoned tasting goer, so I kind of go straight into the mode when I'm going. I, I thought you were going to say you were quite a seasoned stumbler, and I well, yeah. yeah, and that too, yeah, that too. So yeah, the guys that yeah, it was really good to see. Uh, yeah, it was really good to to drop into Pinnacle Beer and Wine, and um, and I'd also dropped into our friends at Hardiman's on in Kensington. Um, and they're really fantastic beer range, and had a couple of their a couple of their drops, and their taps are always really good. Um, yeah, those guys there are, are terrific. So we're very lucky to have two really good uh, purveyors of fine beer in our in our neighbourhood. Apart from that, just uh, you know, we were lucky enough to have an election here in Victoria, which seemed to go fairly straightforwardly. Um, which was nice, and uh, I've got nothing else to say. I, I'm going to no, I can't think of anything else to say there either. And yeah, it sounds like Williamstown was really good, and they caught up with a lot of people, which will be fantastic. So we can't, we're looking forward to to hearing the results from that. Um, but more importantly, and uh, more immediately exciting is we've got Julian on from uh, Lost Watering Hole. So yeah, thanks for joining us, Julian. Um, Over me. Uh, so apparently today has been quite a big day for you. Explain for our audience uh, what 
uh, what is what have you been up to today? Well, today we um, had our first soft opening for a new brew pub, which we opened north of Melbourne in rural Victoria, mm -hmm. in the Messon Rangers, which uh, who might not know the area is uh, the place of the iconic Hanging Rock. Mm -hmm. uh, some of you might have read that book. Um, it's also a, a great area for thri thriving artisans, food artisans, and uh, especially the wine industry. But uh, we brewers, we pop up now here every now and then as well. So uh, it becomes a great area for wine and beer now. Excellent. Um, yeah, a lot of people moving up, like over the last couple of years, a lot of people uh, having their their country change. Their it's not really, well, I suppose there are trees up there. So a tree change up there. So yeah, big influx of all, all Melburnians getting a taste of that country life and enjoying the, the great uh, the the burgeoning food beverage culture which is up that way um that's terrific so your soft opening today how was it how'd it go and no were there any hiccups no no hiccups we had a, actually a small soft opening yesterday as well um right. just a function and um now everyone was uh, very uh very surprised because um we are in a very rural area where normally people just drink uh, cob line and often at the beginning of the event we heard people saying i don't really drink craft beer but i will try your beer and uh, all the people who tried our beer they said mate that's actually really good beer and um we also have a um, dark lager which we will try today um one of those things you will always hear as a brewer is, oh i don't like dark beers and you give them a Munich uh, a dark lager, which is an easy beer to go into the dark range. And they will say all of a sudden, geez, that's my favorite beer. And uh, one, actually one of our shareholders, he never drank beer before. He never liked it. And he said he never would drink a dark beer. Um, today, he drank probably already half a keg of dark lager. <laughs> Yeah, so good we've, we've got a lineup of questions. We normally we tell you what questions we're going to ask in advance. Mm. But I do have to ask to begin with, you've got a shareholder who doesn't yep. drink beer. Why is he a shareholder? What does he see in, mm. the, in the business? Why is well, he we have a, so we are a community project. We have uh, 10 shareholders in there, um, a lot of different, um, they're coming from different backgrounds. Um, and everyone agrees on one part is that rural Australia needs to have more breweries, um, especially it needs to have. A, a, a good brew pub can accommodate for a good food, a good experience. Uh, it will provide for young people a place to educate themselves, to learn something about beer, about brewing, about food. Um, but it also, if run well, it will attract other businesses like restaurants. So a small town like Lansfield, where we set it up, um, hopefully will benefit from it in a bigger scheme. So um, that's what all the um, partners have in common. Um, but then also most of them drink beer but they wouldn't they probably would prefer wine um but we have changed it now with our beer and we converted those um wine drinkers to beer drinkers excellent yeah that's yeah that's what we'd like to hear um so 
let's let's talk a little bit about Lansfield. Tell us yes. about where you're situated and and what and you've you've given us a taste of, of what's happening around there. But yeah, what tell us about Lansfield and where the the your your brew pub is and um, what can we expect if we we headed to Lansfield? Particularly yes, for overseas people, like oh, particularly for our overseas people, which we yeah hungry. Well, these people. So north of so we are located probably 50, 55 minutes north of the CBD of um, Melbourne. Mm -hmm. And for overseas people, Melbourne, if you drive in our north, east, or west, you always get a different landscape. And we are located in the Macedon Ranges, which are 500 meters above sea level, which is probably pretty big, pretty high for Australians. Mm -hmm. And um, we get a lot of, especially on the Macedon Ranges, we get a lot of pines. Um, a lot of European settlers uh, put uh, European trees down there. Um, so you get beautiful landscapes. Um, you have also the Hanging Rock, which is an amazing rock formation, um, beautiful for um, day trips. And um, Very spooky, let's be honest. So for our friends from Hungary and Norway and Sweden, Hanging Rock is one of the spookiest places in our state of Victoria, isn't it? Well, it could be if you read the book, yeah. If you wouldn't know the book, it looks pretty idyllic. But yeah. everything looks idyllic until it's spooky. That's my it's always a story. It's always a story. Yeah. And um, yeah, yeah, then like I already mentioned, we also have a lot of um, thriving wineries, um, really good food artisans, and uh, now also a fair bit of breweries up here. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So it's not only a, a, a great nature around here, but also great people, great culture, and great food. Excellent. And Julian, um, so two soft openings so far. Are you having a grand opening, or are you just going to slowly open and let the people discover you? We want to uh, do it slowly because we have been intimidated by uh, Facebook, uh, by bookings in December. We could have had private functions from now until the end of December. Wow. Um, so therefore, we uh, keep it more because we don't want to be a private place, obviously. We want to be open for everyone. So uh, therefore, we uh, do it slowly. Uh, we will have a grand opening, but we want to give the staff here because, as everyone knows in Australia, staff is really hard to come by at the moment, mm. especially hospitality. We um, want to train them up properly and we already gave them a week, but we also want to give them time to work with actual customers. Um, so therefore we want to have one or two weeks training them and then we will have a grand opening. Excellent. Yeah. Um, I've just realized we do this all the time, Julian, so you'll have to excuse us, but we've been you, you seeing mean, you do it all the time. Mr. Well, I do it all the time. Yeah. Because the first segment's always mine and I'm, just, I'm so interested in the brewery, particularly new breweries, and particularly ones in this start of the process, which is which is really fascinating and interesting and great, um, we forget to talk about the beer. <laughs> we always forget to talk. Well, I always forget to talk about that. That is true. I blame myself as well. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's and sometimes we even drink the beer before we've even started talking about the beer. So. We've got so the first beer, and I love the. By the way, I love the branding, and it's so there. Yeah, there's something really textural about it. So the first one is the flightless, which is which is um, labels a draft. Yes, but in actual fact, 
is a Kolsch. Yes. Uh, which is great. And there's, there is a theme and probably a theme more more suited to uh, with our other October guests, I suspect, um, our guests that we had in October. But there, there's a theme with this. So tell us about the Kolsch. Could you give us a little bit of a tasting and, and what we should be expecting from, from what's in our glass? Yes, certainly. So um, the Kolsch, you will... Once you put it into your glass, you will see it will have a golden color. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's very um, subtle subtle on the on the nose, but once you scroll around, you will uh, probably pick up a few essers, um, a few fruity flavors, mm-hmm. and uh, once you um, start drinking it, you will find it's very crisp, very clean. Um, but at the end, you will have the nice esser notes, um, slightly fruity notes. And that's typical for uh, a Kolsch, which is a German pale ale. And um, the German pale ale, the Kolsch, is a hybrid, actually. It's fermented with ale yeast, but it's uh, yeah, fermented with ale yeast, but at lager temperature. So you go a little bit cooler. And so you suppress most of the esser production, but you will still end up with a typical, or not typical, but you will end up with an ale flavor. Yeah. Okay. And that's what you can expect when uh, you um, pour it into your glass. And the college is a really great way to introduce Australian uh, beer drinkers, especially the everyday Joe, into the world of beer. Because um, the college, while it has a lot of complexity going on, uh, it's a very easy, to dr- uh, easy beer to drink. And it's not overwhelming because we find uh, it's now the second brew we set up in rural Australia. And we find often uh, you will find in uh, rural areas, people will say, I don't drink craft beer because it's uh, too intense, too overwhelming, too sour. Too flowery, sort of too. Exactly. And those people, you have to creep up on them. You have to go slow on them. And the coach we find is a really great beer to introduce them to it. It's not like a typical lager. It has a little bit more to offer, but at the same time, it's something different for them. And often we find, um, especially in beer, Beer is a habit drink. Like if your father drank BB, you're most likely to drink BB as well. If people around you drink like uh, Calm Draft, you're more likely to drink Calm Draft as well. And to get them out of this shell is the most important step. And the first step was other beers. And uh, that's why we started with a, a coach today. Is, is that important for you? Can I ask? Sorry, Warren, I can see you. Yeah, no, no, good question. Is it, is, it, is it important for you to educate people to drink more interesting beers? Is that part of your personal mission? Yeah, 100%. So I'm from Germany, and so all those beers... I wouldn't have guessed. Out... <laughs> <laughs> so all those beers, they're, for me, they're normal. Um, yeah. But even in Germany sometimes, people get too comfortable with their one drink. And when we set up those breweries in the rural areas of Victoria, um, that's what we want uh, to achieve. That's our mission, to educate the customer that there's more than just one beer out of there. I like to compare it with pizza. Like people uh, might like their salami pizza or the margarita, but there's so many other different amazing pizzas out there uh, which you can try. And uh, so that's where we want to start. We want to educate people about how flavor comes from, where flavor comes from, where beer is made, and um, how it can have different flavors without being extremely overwhelming. I think you touched on something that that... I sort of missed. You mentioned uh, other breweries that you've set up. Give us a little, draw the curtain on that a little bit, Julian. What's, t- 
tell us about the other the other breweries that you've yeah so um as you can already tell by my accent i'm from germany so um i studied uh, brewing beverage technology back in germany because we germans take beer bloody serious mm -hmm. and um i worked in a small brewery there where we designed uh, 20 different beers each year um so i learned a lot about the recipe development there and then i wanted to study my engineer in brewing beverage technology but i thought some more work experience before that might be handy so i traveled to the other end of my world to new zealand and um arrived in New Zealand, traveled from brewery to brewery, and arrived at uh, the sawmill. Uh, and uh, I helped them to set up their new brewery. And back then my English was really bad. And uh, I saw a lot of things, which might be my German arrogance, or maybe I was just very young, but I thought they could have been done better. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's from there on my appetite of uh, um, setting up a brewery came from. And um, then I came over to Australia and uh, we set up a brewery on the Great Ocean Road called the Sound Pickers. It's a small uh, brew pub. And um, there we had a really tough um, area because on the Great Ocean Road, you have the biggest dairy area in Australia. And most dairy farmers wouldn't touch anything else in the COB. So we arrived there in the small town, 260 people living there. Um, we arrived there and the pub owner told us, he showed me a COB and he said, see that Julian, they did that for hundreds of years. They did it right. Why should I even touch you? And uh, wow. so that's kind of those people we had to deal with. Wow. Um, but now, five years later, most of the locals come to us um, simply because we went slowly on them. Um, like I just said, with the draft and it's all about education telling people where things are coming from. You ask someone on the street, where's house beer made, where it's coming from, beer wouldn't even know. They wouldn't even know that 80% of Australian companies are uh, breweries owned by Japanese companies. Mm, so the money right. all goes out of the country and they invest it into another country uh, like Vietnam, a good market. Um, so yeah, a lot of education coming from. And so that's where we set up the first brewery in Australia. And uh, since then we um, started a small company called uh, the Brewery Mentors. Uh, we assist other people to set up uh, breweries. Uh, we have a really good uh, team there, which is very diverse from training people, recruitment, but also business plans. We import equipment from China, manufacture it there uh, to bespoke. Um, yeah. Wow. That awesome. that's, my more, that's fantastic, I've got to say. Yeah. Um, we, oh, I'm, I'm just going to go, I thought I might go back to the beer. Um, yeah, it's it's delicious. So when you have this grounding in traditional German styles, do you how much is something like the something like the cult? How much is it based purely on on what the tradition says this beer should be? And how much kind of leeway do you give yourself to to kind of tinker with it and, and create something that's that's, I suppose, more individual? See, um, I'm a traditionalist. I love beer. I love, I love the history about beer. I love about, like, for example, the culture beer drinking has been brewed for over thousands of years yeah. in Cologne, and uh, it has always been very similar. Um, and, you know, that people drank it over thousands of years, it mm. gives you already a really good approval. Like, you know, there is something about this drink. 
But then I also love that we're living in a time where BS is a little bit more flexible. Mm-hmm. Um, however, if I would change something fundamental about the coach, I think you shouldn't call it a coach. I think you should call it maybe, for example, with the Pilsner, you have the amazing hops coming out from New Zealand and they developed this New Zealand Pilsner, which is amazing. But it shouldn't be labeled as, for example, Pilsner or like a Czech Pilsner or German Pilsner because it isn't. Um, so I give myself a, a fair bit of free, uh, um, a lot of uh, room to wiggle around it. But mm-hmm. if I would, for example, tell you, you know, that's a coach, um, then I stick to the um, BSR because okay. I think if I if I want to create something different, I would call it differently. Okay. Um, I feel like it's very important mm-hmm. that the customer has a label and sees, okay, that's a coach or that's a Merzen. And they know what to expect. If it becomes like at the beginning of the craft beer revolution, where we had a lot of different IPAs popping up, mm-hmm. everything was under the lab, uh, banner of IPA. And so an IPA could be 100 IBU, or yep. it could also be just 40 or 35 IBU sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it could be a big wide range. And I think it's important for the customer that they know uh, what they buy into. And uh, yeah. We had a good conversation the other day, which was an insight for me about the difference between Pilsner and Pils and the fact that German brewers had a respect for the notion that, you know, there are things you can call Pilsners and things you can call Pils. Uh, tell us from where in Germany you're from. Let's get to that really, that mm. part of that bit of the story before we, we go any further. Yeah. So I'm from uh, the best soccer club town in the world, or football, how we call it. It's called Vauffel Bochum. It might be not first in the league, but you know we our hearts up there. And it's, uh, it's, we've got a lot of German listeners, but that you've yeah. just given me an opportunity to say how wonderful it was that Australia have won two games in the World Cup in football mm-hmm. uh, in the first time in my lifetime. So anyway, do go on. David, we are humble. We're humble early. people in Germany. We've been humbled twice, so uh, we take it slowly. <laughs> um, we, you know, we will win against Costa Rica and uh, Spain will win against Japan and we are up against Portugal. So I, I actually don't doubt that, to be honest. So. <laughs> I hope that. <laughs> well, we will find out in nine hours. But, um, yeah, so I'm from uh, Bochum and anyone who hasn't been to uh, Germany yet, Germany is a bit interesting in terms of uh, breweries. Like pretty much before, even before the craft beer revolution, we had, uh, 1,300 breweries in Australia, in Germany. And so pretty much each small town you go to in Germany will have a brewery and a bakery. And they are making both amazing products. And Germans are very loyal to that product. Like I grew up in Bochum um, and like 15 minutes apart, you will find another brewery. Um, and for example, Essen, uh, Essen might be 50, uh, 30 minutes away, but they would have exactly the same product or pretty much the same product. You wouldn't find a difference in, uh, you know, um, a blind tasting. And I would love my product. I would hate their product and exactly vice versa. People in their town, they would say, our beer is the worst beer and, you know, their beer is the best beer. So it's a uh, it's an, uh, high loyalty in, in the beer. Like, for example, our city had 350,000 people living there and our brewery would produce around 70 million liters of beer. Um, and they would just sell in their town, like you wouldn't sell in other, any other uh, any other town. Um, so if you go out and uh, you go to the Bermuda Dry, you would find like probably twenty bars, and they would all serve the figure beer from my hometown. So that's where I'm coming from, and 
it's very much Pilsner land, but very early on, I was um, lucky I uh, got surrounded by the right people and uh, we got introduced to other beer styles as well. Because in Germany, um, if you understand the history of breweries in the 80s and 90s, they did really hard in anywhere in the world and brewers had to fight for their living. And so often brewers would really just copy the best selling beer. And that's what we saw now with COB line. They would all become very similar in flavor and they wouldn't become very distinctive anymore because they looked into wholesale markets where really low margin is in the wholesale market and uh, they fought in those markets. And so any percentage was, uh, you know, very important. Um, so therefore in Germany, you will find or found back then, um, a lot of breweries would just produce a, a good Pilsner, maybe good wheat beer, and might, maybe if you're lucky, good health. But uh, that would be it. They wouldn't have any RPAs. They wouldn't experiment with different hops. Um, and uh, yeah, nowadays um, you will see, even in Germany, um, that you will have a lot of new brew pubs popping up and serving exactly those niche markets. Mm -hmm. can, can I say that sounds to me like a good place to jump off the beer that we've tasted first and to move over to what is officially labelled the, well, we're going to the dark lager? Is that the yeah. next? So I'm going to have to go and get that from my fridge. Mr. Warren Wu, do you want to take over while yeah, I run my fridge? But it seems like a really sensible point to have the conversation about moving into dark lagers, yeah. their place in the Australian beer culture and mm -hmm. their place in the German beer culture. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So where where did this? And I was like, I'm gonna admit. Um. So I I get the beers from David, and uh, you know I stash them in a quiet dark spot for when until the the brewery guest arrives, and I and I put them in the fridge, and that off we go. Um. I saw Dunkel on the uh, on the run sheet, and it took me a while to dig out. Uh, the dark lager <laughs> and realize, oh, yeah, of course, and that would be the Dunkel. Um, tell us what drives you to make this style of beer. And I mean, your, your, your Kolsch is labeled a draft to, to kind of make it more approachable. How's something the challenge of sell, selling a, a dark beer for you? Um, why have you taken that? challenge to do that and and what you know, i suppose what drives that challenge to do that so that's a very good question so with our core range we want to serve every flavor something mm -hmm. for everyone and especially in the australian market we found and i like to work behind the buying for now and then just to talk to the customers about the beers mm -hmm. and you will have hear, every time you will hear the question i actually don't like dark beers and the problem is most people who think about dark beers, they think about Guinness. Mm. And as everyone on this podcast probably know, Guinness is very a very distinct flavor. It's yeah. a very different beer, like it has uh, nitrogen in it, um, not comparable with most other be uh, dark beers. Mm -hmm. And what I want to show um, the Australian uh, plate uh, palette, and that goes back to education again, is that, hey, Actually, dark beers can be different. Like I just mentioned, um, with a lot of people out there at the moment, and everyone who said I don't like dark beers, I gave them a dark lager, even just a small try. So we skill our bartenders behind there, 
they're almost like a therapist. They try, you know, people are traumatized by Guinness or other beers which are very extreme. And we tell them, if they say, I don't like lagers, give them a small sample of all dark lager for free and uh, see what they, their reactions. And often they will say, oh, that's actually very nice. I actually might order a beer of that. So we get that reaction very, very often because like the Munich Dunkel, it's a very easy drinking lager, mm -hmm. but it still has the really nice um, chocolate multi flavor. Mm -hmm. And that's why we went with it in our core range is simply to showcase, and that's what we tried to in our core range, to showcase uh, different ingredients. And in this case, it's more we try to showcase. Um, would you like, I'm, I'm assuming you, you've, you've kind of embraced that traditional style with this one as well. Uh, tell us about how you've, how, tell us about the brewing process for a lager like this. Like, so, so like I'm interested in, in the selection of malts and do you, once again, do you purely collect the, the very traditional styles of malts to blend together for this, for this beer? Um, so in, in the, uh, Munich uh, Dunkel, we have Munich malt, obviously, mm -hmm. and then we just have a small percentage of Carafa Munich, yeah. um, just to balance it out and give it a dark flavor. Because um, Munich malt would probably end up around 15 EBC, which mm -hmm. probably would end up being amber color, amberish color. Um, and then the process, we, I'm from Germany. I love my have, I love to have my um, sepress, so. Mm -hmm. As some of you might be uh, homebrewers, uh, you know that depending on temperature, you have like 62 degrees, which is the optimum for uh, better amylase. And then you go to 78, uh, 72, and you have alpha amylase. And they break down the sugars, uh, the starch, the high sugars to different sugars. Mm -hmm. uh, the higher you go, the more less fermentable, uh, unfermentable sugar you get. And the lower, the more fermentable sugar. So with the uh, lagers, we usually do like probably 35 minutes at... Um, 62 degrees mm -hmm. to get a really nice clean flavor and then we go up for probably 20-25 minutes at 72 degrees just to get a, a nice sweetness and a nice body from mm -hmm. um and then after that we do the usual steps boil it um and then we put in our fermenter we ferment our um lagers at 10 degrees for around uh, seven to eight days and then uh, we cold crush it so instead of going up to a uh, digestive arrest like a lot of uh, um, commercial brewers have to do because they speed the product process we uh, take our time with beer and we let the diacetyl uh, build de uh, degrade over time mm -hmm. so we mature our beer pardon, at um, below six degrees for four to five weeks and so the diacetyl will degrade over time and that ensures us if if you would go up after your fermentation to your diacetyl rest, mm -hmm. if the fermentation has been done, you still have a lot of fermentation byproducts after the actual fermentation. Mm -hmm. So if you go up, you won't end up with this clean, uh, easy drinking flavor. Um, if you go down and take your time um, and don't rush things, um, the diacetyl will degrade and you will end up with less fermentation byproducts. Wow. Yeah. I mean Yep. You, no, no, David, you go. Uh, I'm, I'll follow on after. Oh, no, Mr. Warren, you might have a more immediate uh, question, but I've got to say, to me, 
the knowledge that you speak with is fascinating, and mm. we have so many home brewers and others. I'm interested to hear your story as a brewer. You obviously weren't born with this knowledge. Do, were you? <laughs> uh, were you a home brewer to begin with? Where did tell us a little bit of that story? Not everyone in Germany is born with an immediate German brewing knowledge. Despite maybe they life. are, David. Maybe that's yeah, what that's we're I'm wondering. Maybe they're just David born with. Now, my first beer, actually, I was 14. In Germany, we can drink very early on. Uh, they get us early. So when you're 16, you're allowed to buy in supermarkets. So when I was 14, I drank my first beer, which was a V+, which was a Feltins, which is a, a brewery in our area, which is mixing it with Coke in Red Bull. And ah. it was disgusting. It and I thought I would never drink beer. Water. I would never drink beer again. But it appeals to the young people. It's like an I. What do you call it in in uh, yeah, the Iron Brew? Brown UBC IBC. Yeah, was, uh, things we never allow in Australia because we don't have that kind of drinking culture. <laughs> so yeah, but that was um, uh, what I drank there when I was like fourteen for my uh, New Year's Eve party. But um, no, obviously every German has like a like a spirit about beer, like they are feel they're very passionate about beer. And like I said, initially Germans love to support their local companies. They love to know where the money goes to uh, that it benefits a family or multinational corporate company. Um, yeah, mate. Sorry. Um, oh, it's good. It's, what we haven't really mentioned is that you've taken time out from the launch of your actual venue tonight. So yeah, it's, so what you're doing there is actually. Spending some time saying thank you to the people who are out there in Lancefield tonight. That's awesome. And thank you for taking the time to be on air with us tonight at the same time that you're doing that. So we know it's thank been a, a weird night for you and we appreciate the fact you found time to come on board the podcast for that. Cheers. Um, yeah, where were we? Um, we were talking about the, yeah, the Germans. So I guess like Germans have this loyalty, but... For me, it came to be like when you're 18 and people ask you or 17, people ask you, what do you want to do with your life? I thought, geez, I don't know, even know what I'm doing next weekend. So <laughs> I went to this beautiful, uh, to this house party and I met this beautiful girl. She had an amazing character and I want to end up with her, but my friend did. So I walked home by myself at like bloody 5 a.m. Um, and I turned the old tube TV on, which is like one of those big ones. Um, and there was a documentation about old brewing tradition. And um, I thought, oh, that's very interesting. But obviously, I was a little bit too drunk to follow it. So I woke up the next morning, TV was still on, and I did my research when I was 18 and found, you know, you can actually do this and this. And that's when I started um, working in a brewery during my school holidays. And that's where I realized brewing industry is amazing because you don't really have many, I don't know if I say, am I allowed to say that word, but you don't have many tickets in that industry. Yeah, that's, um, that's, the, that's not a bad word compared to what's normally said on the podcast. We're 170 <laughs> episodes in. Don't worry. That one's not going to raise the census. Dickheads, okay. Yeah, fine. And in Germany, we actually have a law. When you work in a brewery, you have to get at least 50 just freebie each month. And um, wow. I had a lot of uh, invites for parties after I worked in a brewery. Um, and then I knew that's the job for me. Um, so I, I started um, writing 600 breweries in Germany, figured out, uh, uh, talked to a lot of people, and I realized I want to work in a small brewery because if you, it's like driving a car. If you drive, start driving an automatic car, 
you can't drive a manual car. But if you dri start driving a manual car, you can always go to an automatic car. Mm, and it's like very small, good if you drive in a manual, if you start a manual brewery, like, you know, every you need to know why you swap every valve. And if you know that, you can work in a big brewery. But if you work on a computer in a big brewery and just push a few buttons, you won't. And uh, I knew that I want to learn something. So that that's where I then came into uh, the brewery in Berlin. Um, and uh, I learned a lot from from those guys about creating recipes, but also just about the brewing process in general, which helped me a big deal when I then came to um, New Zealand. I hope that yeah, answered yeah. your question. No, it absolutely. That's a, that's a wonderful answer. I love the whole story. We're hearing about how you've moved through your brewing career. I guess the bit that stands out as the obvious question now is that having done all these things in Germany, why Australia? What? Well, Australia, that's a very good question, David. Australia, I think, is overdue. And I um, know that a lot of breweries set up, uh, a lot of breweries getting set up in uh, cities. But I believe, and coming from Germany, that every small rural area can have a small brewery. It doesn't need to be huge, but it needs to be a small brewery, which is passionate about it, um, like a bakery. And I believe Australia has been so centralized in in Melbourne, in Sydney, in Perth, in Brisbane. Jesus, guys, we have so much land here and beautiful areas, beautiful nature, beautiful people. Um, obviously, those areas will die if we uh, send all the young people to Sydney and Melbourne. And that's why I think rural areas really can uh, uh, need a brewery, especially as a, a brewery, you don't need many people. Like... If you have an attraction, um, you probably can make a living. If you have a brew pub living out of a town of 10,000 people, if you do a good job, you can make a, a living out of it. And um, yeah, that's why um, I think Australia is overdue. Um, and the other thing is, I was stranded here, you know, before COVID, so I got kind of stuck, <laughs> so no choice for me. Um, Mark in the in the room has asked. A very pertinent question, mm -hmm. uh, and a, quite an obvious one. He was right. You described it as obvious question. Is your mate still with that amazing girl? I would like not to comment on that. <laughs> I'll take that as a guess. We're happy to leave that alone. So back. Well, I'm at like, least they're happy. I'd like. I'm to happy now as well. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we really will leave that alone. I'm I'm scared to <laughs> give my toe in that. But, um, so uh, back to the beer and back to the, uh, that that your wonderful knowledge on how how to brew these beers uh, is. So with that, when we talk about it a little bit with some other of our producers uh, who who come on and talk about lagering and the the whole process and and the time it takes. Mm. Um, and this comes back to to how new you are. The challenge of waiting the the five or six weeks that it takes to to properly to properly sell a, a lager, particularly when you're new and you might not have the cash reserves to 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 cope with that. How how do you balance that out? Is that something that that if you plan right from the very beginning, you can you you you've accounted for it already? See, I believe when you go into business, you need to know where you go. You need to know what you want to achieve. You need to go 
So, for example, um, I was at the uh, Homebrewing um, National Homebrewing um, Conference 2018 as a guest speaker, and I was talking to some people from um, um, uh, Little Creatures, and we were discussing exactly that point. And I think there are two different levels of breweries. They are uh, the local um, brew pubs, mm -hmm. and then they're the wholesale business. Mm -hmm. In a wholesale business, you make $4 a liter. If you're lucky, maybe $6 a liter. And if you have a brew pub, through your taps, you make $22 to $25 a liter. Yeah. So yeah. it gives you different dimensions. You have to know where you stand. Like some people are half pregnant. They try to do their brew pub, and then, but then they also go to bottle shops. Mm -hmm. Bottle shops, as good they are, they also don't make any money for you as a brewery. Mm -hmm. They keep your beer among like... 150 other breweries, your stock gets old. So your beer is not tasting as an as it intended to taste anymore. Um, and so therefore, when we started our uh, business, we calculated for that. Yep. We have 12 fermenters, um, each uh, around 12,000 liter. Um, and we have plenty of space. So yep. we calculated for it. Um, if you don't have, so I should also mention, we do four to five weeks because we don't put any chemicals in our beer. Like, I would say probably 90% of breweries in Australia, even craft breweries, put seaweed, plastic or fish guts in their beer just to clarify it and speed through the production. Mm -hmm. um, which is important if you don't have much space, but by adding those uh, things into your beer, they react with big proteins in your beer. And those big proteins are taken out. That That's how you clarify your beer and stabilize your product. Because for example, COB or Carlton Draft, they need to keep the beer in hot warehouses for probably six months uh, until they give it to the bottle shop. And then in the bottle shop, it might stay another month. And so they need to ensure that the consistency is always the same. Whereas here in our brew pub, we have the um, opportunity to serve the locals fresh beer. We haven't added anything to it. We haven't filtered it. We haven't pasteurized it. It's as fresh as you can get it. Like you would go to a bakery next door and they would just have bread, uh, baked the bread uh, compared to if you go uh, into the supermarket and you get a, a white bread, which has an expiry date of three weeks. Mm. So there's a big difference. And you know, need to know your market, where you want to go. If you want to go wholesale, you need to look at black hops. They didn't make money or they didn't cut even until one million, one million liters. And after then, they bought a brew pub in Brisbane and went uh, taps again because I talked to those guys and they said, taps is where the money is. Um, yep. So you, when you set up your brewery, you need to know exactly where you want to go. Do you want to boost your ego and want to say, oh, my beer is sold all over Australia, but you don't make any money? Um, or you say, you know, I sell it in my local town, maybe a few other bars and restaurants or bottle shops in the local area. Um, but yeah, you have to, it's all like a decision you have to make up front. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think there's a real sophistication there. So I guess the obvious question out of that is, where do you see the brewery being in two years, five years' time? Like, what is your ambition? Well, our ambition is to uh, reach our maximum. So uh, we reach our maximum 180,000 litres a year. We make a really good profit, uh, mostly through our bar, 
Um, we also want to get the locals involved. Our mission again is uh, to educate the consumers and we would love to see setting up another brewery probably, you know, down the road and they might make showcase other beers. Like, you know, I'm from Germany. Um, I obviously uh, bring uh, a lot of uh, German beers, but also we showcase um, a few other beers. We have a brewer's assistant who's doing a lot of uh, great Belgian beers. But, you know, there could be uh, another niche market for um, a Belgian brewery or even just like a brewery which does a little bit more advanced craft breweries. Because by then, I'm pretty sure we um, worked on the market so much that they would be open to try Nipah. If we would, if we would serve our patrons in Nipah right now, they probably would uh, put their nose up and say, I don't drink that. Um, so we have to get them slowly. And I think in two, three, four years, we're still here. We don't want to go wholesale because we know there's no much, not much money to make. Um, and yeah, we focus on us here doing events. We want to uh, have, uh, we have like a labeling machine where we can have like local footy clubs have their own labels on their beers. Um, just getting the local locals involved. Uh, and I'm very passionate about that. I think a company should just focusing on the local area rather than, oh, I want to sell a few more cakes to Melbourne and um, say my beer is sold in Sydney or in Brisbane. Um, yeah, so that's where we see us in three to four or five years. Now, I think we do need to move on to the Marzen hmm? properly. Some of us probably already have, but I'm going to open my can now. Yep. Uh, can you tell us a little bit, first of all, about how this beer should be tasting in the in the glass, how it should look to us? Yes, uh, But also what a Marzen is for people who are from Australia. Maybe we may not be familiar with this style. Oh, Matt. So the Merzen uh, will come in a, a nice amber colour. And also, can I say that I always say Martin, you say Merzen. It's I'm from North Bendigo. <laughs> I acknowledge that. <laughs> I can't even hear that anymore. But yeah, uh, Martin, I had actually the same conversation with the staff member today where she said, should I say Martin or like a French way, Merzen? Um, but I think both ways are uh, qualified for the beer. Uh, that's all right. Um, and uh, so the the Madsen, when you smell it it will have a, a distinctive sweetness to it and once you drink it it will come even though it's 5.8 percent alcohol a very clean crisp and a nice bready sweetness to it and um that's exactly what it's about it's um a very easy drinking beer uh even though it's 5.8 percent you might not even taste it um yeah um and, we, yeah sorry oh no you go julian finish, uh, please finish so the Märzen, um if you translate it from german Märzen means march so in march it was the coldest month in europe to still brew of ferment lager beers so the germans knew about it by then so they brewed additional brews in march and they then kept it in the mountains where it was nice and cool. And in October, when it became colder again, they would be able to start brewing lagers again. So they drank all their stock. And that's where you find on the Oktoberfest, they drank always Märzen. So I had no idea about this until recently, until I sort of met with our friends from Weinstefan who were in Australia a couple of months ago. Yeah. I felt so ignorant because I love this style of beer. 
I would never have known it was linked to March. I would never have known it was linked to that sort of period of time. It's it's amazing how much of beer culture Australians, and I count myself, I, I, I love beer. Mm. And I'm ignorant of so much of the, the stories behind how it's made. I think, I wouldn't say ignorance, but I think there's so much more than we think it is. Like, because beer is like a thing often people don't really talk about. But uh, yeah, there's still a lot to, to learn about any beer style. Like there are so many stories out there. You can't know them all. You're, you're kind. I appreciate <laughs> you being nice about that. But it, it still strikes me as how much we don't appreciate, you know, some of the stories behind all of these sort of things. So hmm. could we hear a couple of your stories about, you know, where you've come from in your brewing. What's the first beer that you remember drinking? What's the first what we might call craft beer that you remember drinking. Hmm. See, well, it depends on the definition of craft. Like, what is craft? Like, in the American... No, no, in your, everything... You get to decide the answer. Okay, good. Thank you. So, <laughs> my first craft beer I would label as is my, my home brewery. My uh, hometown brewery called Figa. And they did do an, still an amazing personal beer. Um, and that's probably the first, first beer I tried. And because, like I said, we Germans are very passionate about it. Even though it was like probably 10 bucks more a carton, we always bought that beer. And mind you, a carton in Germany is probably 5 euro, um, you know, the cheapest one. And uh, that one was 15 euro, which was very expensive. Mm. Uh, and so that was the first beer which I tried. And um, I liked it, but uh, it didn't still didn't spark like the, uh, the, you know, the flame in me to be become a brewer. Uh, it really became from about what actually not only beers, but also the um, the industry, what people are around the industry, or people like to drink beer. It's not actually all about the product for me. It's more about the social aspect. For me, a good beer uh, needs to complement the situation. Uh, I don't like a beer which takes all the attention from uh, the conversation or from the situation. Like, for example, we're sitting with four boys and we all just drink about the beer and, and talk about the beer. I think a perfect beer for me is like we have a great night. We talk about philosophical psychological topics and we have the beer which we can drink all night long and that's uh kind of that uh, figure which i had there in uh in bochum um i want to move on we we were briefly touched on stories and we've got talking about stories what's the story behind the labels and the design it's really distinctive it's also it's also it seems quite um it's harking back to to a really i i'd describe it as a tribal design or yeah uh where where did it come from what's the idea behind it where where the yeah where was the inspiration so should go probably go back to our name so it's lost boarding hall mm-hmm. and uh, the lost boarding hall um here in australia with a huge megafauna before humans arrived here and uh, killed most of the big animals. Uh, and um, here in us, uh, where we set up the brewery, we had a, a big drought probably 35,000 years ago. And all those big animals surrounded the lake here in the local area, but then the lake dried up and we had uh, 10,000 fossils of huge animals, like huge kangaroos, wombats, um everything you name it it's there and so that's why we try to showcase it the lost watering hole where it's coming from so the lost watering hole in australia also stands for a pub 
mm-hmm. um, but it was also the watering hole which dried up. And so that's where the animals come from. So um, they all showcase like an animal from ancient time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, some of them might be a little bit more fantasy, um, but they are also a little bit more collective, collector, collectible items. Um, mm-hmm. So a little bit more design. Uh, we had a, a, a lot of good discussions about the design. As a brewer, I would have put a lot of more information on it. Mm-hmm. But uh, at the end, uh, I got convinced that most of the information, if someone wants, we supply, for example, every carton, we supply our tasting notes, um, a lot of information, everything I wanted to put on the can, which would have never fit on the can, will be in those tasting notes. Yep. And um, at the end, um, yeah, we, we settled on those, uh, those those animals and a very simple um, label. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Terrific. And I've also noticed, so the Lost Watering Hole is a fantastic name, and I love the story behind the name. It's a, that's a, it, it just evokes so many images. You've also, you also have the name the Lancefield, the Lancefield Brewery. Are there plans to kind of expand on that as well and that particular name and label? What's the idea behind having the two separate entities, I suppose, or identities? Well, that came from uh, when we discussed about the names and we found like Lost Watering Hole might not be uh, telling many people where it would be. So mm-hmm. that's why we put uh, Lansford Brewery in there. If we would expand, we would definitely do it in a different entity mm-hmm. and uh, disconnect it from the uh, current um, facility. Yeah, okay. Um, you did mention, the, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to touch on the business a little bit. Mm-hmm. In what way, how, how do you see yourself helping other breweries? Like, have you helped other breweries uh develop and and what's and if if there were some budding homebrewers who want to start who start uh developing their own system um how what would be the place to start to get in touch with you if they were going down that route well we have a website um the brewery mentors so you can just google it and get in touch with us uh but so three advices i would probably give the first thing is brewing beer is easy is the hard part is selling beer. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, the, absolutely, you're absolutely the, right. Genius, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you would be surprised how many people go in and they make great beer. Yeah. But again, making great beer and actually bringing it to the customer, they're two different uh, skills. No, you're right. you are so right. Absolutely right. And that brings me to the second point. Owning and managing a brewery requires more skills than just brewing. Like, it's a business and you have to treat it as such. Like, I know that a lot of brewers are very passionate about their product and I love it. And that's why we're all here. But you have to understand there's accounting, financing. Um, then you have to manage the bar. You have to staffing. Um, there are a lot of components in this business which you have to nail to make a, a, a business successful. Um, and um, I've experienced a lot of brewers in three different countries. And I... Um, can uh, say if you don't nail one of those uh, or, or two, um, you might be in trouble. Terrific. I think, yeah, th- there's been a lot of great, great pieces of advice <laughs> for I lo- I'm loving it. And not only about the brewing, but it's just been a just, just continual stream of 
of great thoughts about people willing uh, wanting to to start their own kind of professional outfit. Um, I I want to go back. I I just looked at the can again, and I'm really I'm i just love the detail on them. Uh, how much? Uh, what? Where's the designer fit in? Do you guys come up with the the core idea and let the designer do their thing? There's a theme across them, obviously. So I'm assuming it's the same. A firm or same designer who does everything like what how much interaction do you have with the designer and coming up with the 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 logos and the 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 art itself um we gave uh, the designer or we had a lot of discussions among us mm-hmm. and then uh, forwarded it to the designer and uh, even with the designer with a lot of back and forth but at the end, I believe it's very important that you leave uh, the expertise to the expert experts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm good at brewing beer, yep. and I might have my idea of how things look, should look like. Um, but and uh, someone who is trained in marketing and design, uh, they know exactly what they're doing. Oh, you mm-hmm. would like to hope so. Um, and so we left uh, most of uh, those decisions to them. And then obviously we had to sign on it. But yep. uh, we were quite happy with it, and we were convinced after a few meetings. Um, what they wanted to, um, um, well, what they wanted to send out the message that they mm-hmm. want to send. Yes. Yeah. Um, we've got um, what I'm assuming are three of the core range beers. Uh, what else is on the rad- radar in terms of uh, seasonal brews or? Or, or one-offs that you're doing is that is that something that's that will be a big part of what you guys do and uh, what's what's on the what's on the horizon for for different things you go brew. So we have a core range of four, and then uh, with this core range we have a lot of flavors covered, and then every um, we call it beer of the month. Uh, we sure. want to showcase something different. So um, at the moment, because we actually were meant to open in October with the Madison, um, and uh, then in December would have been the Bavarian Hellers, then in January we would have the Hefeweizen, then after that we would have the uh, uh, single hopped uh, session IPA, which is a mid-strength, um, and then it continuously goes like with a, a green hop beer in March, We'll have um, in the darker month, we'll have a, a porter, a stout, maybe even a dark Hefeweizen. Um, and we will rotate them depending on how the uh, customer uh, will respond to it. Mm-hmm. But um, in the past, we never we had any issues with it. And often, like, for example, the Madison or the Hefeweizen, people would ask for it like the whole year. When will it be back? And we tell them um, it will be back in, uh, you know, December or October or whenever. And uh, yeah, they would look forward to it. So we would all our whole idea of the beer of the month is that we showcase what we can be without being extreme. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Look, I think it's a really nice place to put a bow on things, Mr. Warren Wu, unless you disagree. I think this is a good time to say thank you to Julian. It's um I love hearing from new breweries as well as the enormous established breweries that we have to hear your passion and to hear your ideas, which I think we're going to be talking to you for the next 20 years. And I'm so excited. 
to sort of be in on the ground floor on this conversation. Year after year, we're going to come back. Year after year, we're going to visit the brewery. Year after year, we get to come back and be part of the conversation about what makes fantastic beers with your knowledge from Germany, ingredients from Australia and Australian passion. Um, please give us your socials and tell us how we can come and join you in case anyone somehow tuned in halfway through a podcast. Yes, certainly. So you can get in touch with us. Uh, um, our socials are called Lost Watering Hole. Or if you want to um, set up a brewery or a little more serious about it, um, we also offer our services on uh, Brewery Mentors. <clears throat> And you can just uh, Google it and on our website, you will find our phone number or email address. And uh, yeah, you're more than welcome to uh, drop in any questions. We are happy to help. Julian, you've been excellently helpful to me in making sure tonight happened. I appreciate the effort you put in and um, all, all power to your arm. Fantastic night to be a part of your launch and uh, spread the word about Lost Watering Hole. Thanks for being a part of the show tonight. Thanks a lot for having me. Thanks, Julian. Have a good one, guys. Nice to meet you. Hope you enjoyed the beers.